0: to the True Neighbor Podcast. My name is Tom Breyer. My guest today is Carol Cunningholm, the chair and co-founder of Fair Districts PA, a group that has worked tirelessly over the past several years to put an end to gerrymandering in Pennsylvania. This conversation is one of the most meaningful that I've had on the podcast so far because, as you'll hear Carol explain, gerrymandering Is one of the root causes of our broken democracy. That's especially true here in Pennsylvania. Back in 2011, with the help of a multi-million dollar GOP project called Red Map 2010, the Pennsylvania legislature passed a bill that, overnight, made Pennsylvania the poster child for gerrymandering in the United States. They did so behind closed doors and through the use of sophisticated mapping technology, that allowed politicians to surgically pick exactly who they wanted in or out of a given district. The result was a fully gerrymandered Commonwealth that guaranteed Republicans at least 12 of Pennsylvania's 18 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, even though Democrats own a 4-3 to three voter registration advantage in the state. In the words of nationally recognized political scientist G. Terry Madonna, the end result was the worst gerrymander in modern Pennsylvania history. If you haven't seen it already, pause this episode right now and Google PA Gerrymandering 7th Congressional District. What you'll see is the comically drawn 7th District, which the New York Times described as a laughingstock, and would later become known as the goofy kicking Donald Duck district because, as you'll see in the picture, its highly contorted shape resembled one Disney character planting a foot in the rear end of another. Maps like this were so effective that President Obama lost 13 of Pennsylvania's 18 districts to Mitt Romney in 2012, even though he won the state by more than 300,000 votes. In any event, the Pennsylvania map was gerrymandered beyond belief. But as you'll hear Carol explain in detail, the bill was not passed along party lines. Indeed, sworn testimony later revealed that several Democratic leaders in Congress, including Bob Brady, Allison Schwartz, and Chaka Fattah, all reached out to Democrats in the state legislature and encouraged them to vote for the bill because it ensured that many incumbent Democrats would remain in safe districts of their own. When it was time for the moment of truth, 36 Democrats, including my opponent in the primary election right now, Eugene De Pasquale, ended up voting for the bill, which wouldn't have passed without Democratic support. A few years later, Eugene was asked, why? Why would you vote for a bill that gerrymandered Pennsylvania? His response was that, well, He lived in a district that actually made it more competitive for Democrats because it placed the city of Harrisburg in it. But as you'll hear Carol explain, Harrisburg was actually divided into multiple districts, a tactic in gerrymandering lingo called cracking that was designed to crack the black vote and eliminate Democratic voices by pushing cities into multiple districts. In fact, the part of Harrisburg that was placed into Eugene's district which was then the fourth district ended up being Scott Perry's which he won by 50 points in 2012. Thankfully the Pennsylvania Supreme Court declared the gerrymandering bill unconstitutional and in 2018 enjoined the Pennsylvania legislature to submit a new map which would be approved by the governor. The Republicans then failed to do so leading the Supreme Court to draw a map of its own. That map is currently in place today. But as you'll hear from Carol, that map is set to expire. In fact, once the census data comes in, a new set of maps will be put in place. And that's what Fair Districts PA has set out to do. They don't want another partisan map drawing process. What they want are fair districts. In this episode, Carol and I discuss the origins of gerrymandering, why it is so destructive for democracy, and what Fair District's PA is doing here in Pennsylvania to prevent gerrymandering from happening again. By the end of this episode, you'll be signing up to join Fair District's fight for fair elections. Without further ado, I bring you our next true neighbor, Carol Cunningham. All right. I'm here with Carol Cunningholm. Carol, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm excited to chat with you because now gerrymandering, I feel like, is part of our political lexicon. Um, even President Obama and former Attorney General Eric Holder have made this a top priority in the past few years. So, uh, going into a, a census year, this is a really uh, timely question. So, I'll start by just asking you um, personally about your involvement with Fair Districts PA and um, how you first became connected with the organization.
1: Yeah, I had not ever heard of gerrymandering until probably five years ago. I don't remember ever even hearing the word. And then five years ago, I was the vice president for government and social policy for the League of Women Voters Pennsylvania, and was invited to a meeting in Senator Lisa Bascola's office with legislators from both houses, both sides of the aisle, plus policy staff, to talk about a bill she was working on to create an independent commission to end gerrymandering in Pennsylvania and I thought, I don't know anything about this, and I started doing some research, and the more I researched, the more I thought, this is really important and I started talking to election reform people around the country who were involved with league activities, and they all said yeah that's that's a pretty big deal, and in Pennsylvania, that's a huge deal and When I started trying to understand what would be the most important election reform here in Pennsylvania, that really rose to the top pretty quickly. So I got involved talking with people about it and then realized that the league had been, the league had tried to address it over the past 30 years, along with other groups like Common Cause had given testimony, but never had enough public attention on the issue to force any kind of change. And so I, I thought, why don't we try to make a, make a more concerted effort right now to, to do something before 2021, because we knew there would be a new redistricting in 2021. So we started a coalition, Fair Districts PA, in 2016. And it didn't. It, the first year, we just kind of did some background work. And then 2017, it just kind of exploded. People, people felt like something's gone really wrong in the whole electoral process and really wanted to understand why, what was happening. And we were able to explain part of that, that, that their votes really didn't matter because of the way districts were drawn.
0: No, it really is um, a, an insidious form of discrimination that unless you look into it, it's hard to really see the effects of it. Uh, and so, you've been in operation now since 2016. Uh, what, what is gerrymandering? Can you tell us a little bit about the term itself and where it comes from?
1: Yeah, gerrymandering is manipulating of electoral district maps for partisan or personal advantage. And the word was first coined in 1812, Governor Elbridge Gerry of Massachusetts signed off on a map that benefited his party, the Democratic-Republicans, and that map looked like a salamander. So the press kind of went crazy calling him out on it, and they 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 made the term gerrymander, putting his last name with part of the word salamander there had been some attempts to do that in other other states before that but that was the first one that really hit the press and that word has been in use since 1812 people ask us so so if it's been around since 1812 why are you making a big deal about it now and our answer is because of mapping technology and data mining technology they used to do it with a you know a thumbtack on a on a piece of paper with a pencil and now they do it with computers and they can do it with such precision that they can control outcomes of elections almost completely for the next 10 years.
0: And I mean, if you look at how much technology can progress in 10 years, I'm sure it becomes even more precise uh, over time. Um, What is the, uh, why do we do this every 10 years? Why does redistricting um, coincide with the census and what does that mean for our district lines every decade?
1: So the census is every 10 years, the years that end in zero. So we're in the middle of a census right now, and that's another important story. But the the different states used to do this differently, and some states went for, for years without ever redrawing lines. So if population shifts around, you can end up with an area that has very few people having as much representation or more representation than an area with lots of people. So there were some big lawsuits back in the 1960s, and it became a, a constitutional requirement, a federal requirement, I guess, that that the, the congressional seats be reapportioned every after every. Well, that's that was going on anyhow. But that state legislatures also have to be reapportioned, re, redrawn after the census. So ever since the '60s, it's been a requirement across the country: all all electoral districts need to be redrawn after the census. And I and so I would here. say, so there's reapportionment and redistricting. Reapportionment is, is dividing the districts across the states. There's 435 congressional seats, and so states that lose population relative to other states will lose a seat. States that gain population gain a seat. Pennsylvania has lost one or two seats for the last, I don't know how many decades, and we will almost likely lose another seat in this decade. And those are the states where congressional redistricting is a, is a pretty big deal because they're really completely redrawn because you go from 18 to 17 districts, as we will, those districts all have to be redrawn. In some states, they're just tweaked a little bit at the edges. In states that are losing or gaining seats, it's a much bigger deal and much more opportunity for gamesmanship to control the outcomes.
0: And this is the case, I mean, the lines are at the federal and the state level, right?
1: Right. So there's the congressional districts and, and we have two different processes in Pennsylvania. Every, it's, it's a complicated thing because every state has congressional seats and legislative seats and some states do them with the same process. Lots of states do them differently. And in Pennsylvania, they're done differently. So congressional is done as a bill that is introduced in our, in our legislature and passes through the legislature, and then the governor can sign it or veto it. So if the legislature is the same party as the governor, which is what happened in 2011, you can do some pretty devious things. If you've got a, a governor of a different party, then you've got a pretty good safeguard, which is which is the case for us in 2021. We'll, we'll have a much better safeguard on that than we did in 2011. That's for congressional legislative. There's a five person commission The, the legislative reapportionment commission in Pennsylvania and the party leaders from the House and the Senate. So majority, minority from each, each of those houses. And then a fifth person chosen by the state Supreme Court. Those five people go in a back room somewhere and they draw maps to benefit themselves and benefit the people who do what they are told and to harm the people who don't do what they're told. And if they see some challenger coming along that they don't want, they can draw the map to just draw that person into an impossible situation, and the party that has the majority, whoever gets that fifth person that the state Supreme Court chooses, that party can give themselves an enduring majority that will last pretty much the next decade.
0: And gerrymandering, is, you know, as you mentioned, this is a term itself that dates back to 1812. Even in Pennsylvania, I've read about how the uh, White House in 2002 played a pretty strong role in the redistricting. in in PA at the beginning of this decade, but in 2011, it really seems like there was a a massive change and this took on a life of its own. Um, What happened in the redistricting process during that year?
1: Well, interestingly, in 2010, Karl Rove wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal. I was stunned. When I first started researching this, I was just... It kind of blew my mind to see this put out there in the Wall Street Journal in 2010, where he said, he who controls the redistricting process can control congress and so there was a a a project called red map 2010 which he was part of thinking through which was to say look in in, in 1991 the the democrats did a pretty good job of gerrymandering pennsylvania and giving them some, themselves some extra seats in 2001 the republicans got their payback in pennsylvania and they had the opportunity to draw the map, and they gave themselves an extra seat, even while Pennsylvania was losing
0: a seat. I think it was the largest swing in the country, actually, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was big. It was a big swing, and it was a big trick. So, so we were the headliner in that Carl Rove article, Pennsylvania, and he pointed to Pennsylvania and said, "Look, if you can control the state legislature and control the the redistricting process, you can give." your party extra seats in Congress. And so, Red Map 2010 was an attempt in states where this was a big possibility to target specific legislative seats to grab a majority in the state legislature to control the mapping of congressional seats to control congress. So so I actually saw uh, there was a segment on Rachel Maddow where she was giving out a genius award and she said, you know, this is a genius award that might be a little hard to understand but she gave it to the guy who was the mastermind of the Red Map 2010 project and she said, where did you get the best bang for your buck? And he said Pennsylvania because we have so many so many legislative districts, you can you can flip districts for a pretty low price and once you flip those districts then you can control that bill that draws the congressional maps and so in Pennsylvania we have had a pretty much 50-50 voting turnout pretty close to 50-50 for the last decade but the Pennsylvanians the the Re- Republicans gave themselves 13 out of 18 seats every every election 13 out of 18 seats that is a in in what should be a 9-9 setting that's that's four extra seats in Congress. That's a big deal.
0: That is a big deal. And I, I read even that in 2012, Democrats had 83,000 more votes and, and still lost 13 of 18 seats.
1: Yep. No matter how many, whatever the turnout, it did not, it did not budge. It did not shift. That was a locked-in majority. And that's why there was a lawsuit in 2017, 2018. And that's why the state Supreme Court said, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is a locked-in advantage and this is this is contrary to the Pennsylvania Constitution, which promises free and equal elections if the If the outcome is locked in, then that's really not a free and equal election and and so the congressional map was redrawn for the twenty eighteen election. You could see what happened it went from thirteen to five to nine nine and that's where it should be in a, in a state that's pretty close to half and half. Uh, and the votes, there were, it, it actually, people were saying, oh, it was gerrymandered for the Democrats. But in truth, if you look at the votes, there were more, more Democratic votes than Republican. And, and you could almost argue there should have been one more seat that went to Democrats. But, uh, it, it pretty closely reflected the votes cast and the seats won for the first time in, in Pennsylvania, for the first time in probably over two decades that it came close to what the votes, indicated.
0: Yeah. 538 actually did a pretty detailed study on that as well. And they said the same thing that, you know, at first glance, it might appear like it's a gerrymander the other way, but in fact, it actually still leans slightly Republican. Um, why in 2011 did Pennsylvania become really the kind of national model for gerrymandering? I mean, it became a notorious story that had even kind of garnered attention on the national level. Why was it so egregious in uh, in the last redrawing?
1: Well, in in part because we have a a partisan process, some states have a, a much some states have better. Well, some states have better better safeguards. We would have a better safeguard if we had a different party in the governor's seat or we had a more even legislature. But the Republicans had given themselves a strong majority by drawing the state house and senate maps back in 2001 and then there was a republican governor so there was no safeguard but but even more there are very very few swing states left and we are one of the the largest i think florida is the only swing state real genuine swing state that's larger than us and so there was a there were millions millions red map 2010 spent millions here in pennsylvania to make sure that they controlled those house and senate seats here in pennsylvania to, to have the final say in that map. But also, there's a, there's a two-party aspect to this. It's not just one party does it and the other party is all totally innocent. Um, there's uh, Walter Olson from Maryland, a Republican in Maryland, who's looked at this very closely in Maryland, where the Democrats do the gerrymandering, he calls it the buddy-mander, which is you have powerful people on both sides agreeing to give themselves very safe seats in exchange for supporting an egregious map that really harms the voter. And that's what happened in 2011. So there were Democratic leaders who Bob Brady was the most notorious. So he was a party leader in Philadelphia. He had been in in Congress for a long time and his district had been shifting from from white Democrats to African American Democrats. And he wanted a district that included enough white Democrats that he would get reelected. And so he had a very congressional district 1 if you look at it it had some strange things going on and he was adamant that all of you know all of the Philadelphia delegation of democrats in the house and senate needed to vote for the congressional map and many of them so so there was pressure from the leadership but there was also the the procedural rules were ignored almost completely so the bill introduced it's supposed to be available for view and it's supposed to go you know beyond the table three times each time it was put out on the table it had no the bill for quite a long time simply said congressional district 1 will be and then there was no detail, there was nothing. Um, so that passed through with <laughs> with no words, no detail at all. And when it finally finally got the details, it, it was pushed through very, very quickly, right before Christmas, at, right at the last minute, many people who voted on it hadn't even seen a map. They did not know what they were voting for. The leadership just said, you need to vote for this. So there were lots of Democrats who voted for it because the Democratic leadership from their area told them they had to and then there were republicans who said i'm looking at what i can see and this looks bad and there were republicans who refused to vote for it even though they got strong pressure from their leaders so so there's no you know the, there's no real innocent party in this there are some some great people in our in our state uh state legislature who have fought against gerrymandering for a long time but there were people on both sides who voted for a pretty awful map
0: yeah, I mean the bill wouldn't have passed without the support of those thirty-six Democrats, right? Um, and I even know, you know, Alison Schwartz, um, just like Bob Brady, she wanted, you know, she ended up running for governor. She was moved into a safe district, which gave her the freedom to fundraise. Uh, and so, like you said, there was a clear incentive on the part of at least some Democrats in the state to do this as well. And this is kind of part of the gerrymandering approach, isn't it? This isn't this, you know. I've read different terms. There's packing versus cracking, uh, how did the Pennsylvania gerrymander push the parties into specific districts?
1: Well, so so they certainly, in Pennsylvania, there's lots going on with our gerrymanders and I've been spending a lot of time studying studying congressional maps and House and Senate maps and what you can see is, first, you know, there's definitely the buddy Manders. So, there's the the people who do what the party leaders want them to and play the game. They get sweetheart deals. That's one way you do it, which is the buddy Mander, which is, you know, we we give ourselves safe seats. So we stay there a long time. In fact, the first time I met with my own legislator, my own state senator, he said, oh, it's really not a problem because my colleague from the other party, we sit down and we look at the map and we divide it up and we get along great. My response was, I'm sure that works really nicely for you, but as a voter, I find that very <laughs> offensive. <laughs> he and I didn't get along very well after that. And, and actually, he's no longer there. But, um, but that's, that's the, that's the feeling from a lot of our legislators is it, it's totally fine. I, I choose my neighborhoods that like me and I give the neighborhoods that don't like me to my colleague from the other side and we stay put. And there are legislators who've been there for 20 years. And if you look at their districts, you say, yep, I get it. They have, you know, they have their own safe districts that were drawn for them and they ignore voters completely and they're happy and they do what the leadership tells them to. And as long as they do what the leadership tells them to, they get a safe district the next time around again. So that's the buddy-mander or the sweetheart gerrymander. And then cracking is um when you when you draw the map so that one population is packed as tightly as possible into a district so that they have no no voice in the surrounding districts so that they they get a super safe district but the the other the other party gets gets a majority because they are able to control the districts around it um that's that's packing and it's also cra- cracking is a similar thing where you take a you take a city like Harrisburg or like Reading or Allentown or Scranton or even little little towns like Phoenixville near me all of those if you look at them and you say why why did they draw that map to divide that in half well they cracked it so so that was a population that could have had a district that represented them and rather than have that happen uh the the opposing party drew that map to to crack that community right in half so that the opposing party had two districts instead of one and that's that's if you if you look at our House and Senate maps across the state, you see incredible incredible uh, cracking going on, and you see many, many, many communities that are simply deprived of any voice at all
0: and this tends to disproportionately affect minority communities doesn't it? I mean you mentioned Harrisburg that was cracked into two different districts to essentially dilute the black vote and so there's a racial component here too isn't there
1: absolutely yeah so so reading we we pointed to reading reading was cracked in the congressional districts it was it was drawn in such a way that that reading was drawn into into voting with lancaster but but the drawn kind of in cracked into three area three three districts but the heart of reading which is primary Latino and quite poor was drawn to be voting with Lancaster farmers mm. and if you look at this some of our school districts in Pennsylvania are among the the most underfunded in the country and and you start looking at their representation you say well yeah that they have they have no representation in Harrisburg they have no representation in DC those minority poor minority communities are just completely cracked
0: and it takes away their voice. Uh, And, you know, there are a number of knock-on effects here with gerrymandering that I want to talk to you about too. Um, The first is money in politics. You know, I went down to, um, it was the inaugural independence dinner that the Democrats had last fall in Philadelphia, and Bob Brady was awarded some kind of civic award, which having studied the gerrymandering process, I found ironic. But um, he he spoke at the time about how uh, and he said this very candidly about how any bill that came through Pennsylvania would end up on his desk. And so, he had the financial strings to kind of whip the party into shape. And anybody who wanted to run for office essentially had to go through Bob Brady uh, because he had the coffers. Um And so, what role does money and politics play here and how can uh the ability to pull the financial strings dictate the maps that are ultimately drawn?
1: It's a very tight tight web and Pennsylvania has terrible campaign finance laws we have pretty bad lobbyist lobbyist regulations or rules surrounding lobby money there's there's tons of money that flows into this whole process i mean you could you could do a whole episode on on campaign funding gerrymandering and the way policy plays out but if you think about it if if a if a incumbent has a safe seat drawn for them that goes in weird ways. How does a newcomer even challenge that? So the incumbent has name recognition. They've got party money behind them. And then the newcomer doesn't even, you know, how how do you even figure out, you know, where do you put yard signs if the district goes dodging through five school districts as as my own house district does? My Pennsylvania house district goes through five school districts goes through multiple towns and you can go from one street to the next and you're in a different house district. So it's incredibly difficult. I mean people did people have figured out that the only way to push back is is feet to, feet on the ground, door to door, you know, just go out there and say, I'm <laughs> I'm here and I'm going to represent you. But it's incredibly difficult for newcomers to enter enter when when there's when there are gerrymandered districts protecting incumbents and then all the money behind that that flows through the party to the preferred candidate. It it's a tight knot. And then and then when you think about what happens in Harrisburg or in DC, the people the people with seniority rig the procedural rules, the legislative rules, so that the people with seniority control it completely. So if you look at what bills get passed in Harrisburg, they're introduced by committee leaders. They're the the bills that the committee leaders want and the bills that the party leaders want. Who gets to be a committee leader? In the House, it's completely by seniority. You have to be there quite a while before you can become a committee leader. So it's really the people with the safe districts are the ones with seniority, are the ones with the money, are the ones who control the outcomes, are the ones the lobbyists and the funders give the money to. It's a it's a tight, tight knot of dysfunction and it's incredibly hard for the people's voice to be heard in the middle of that.
0: And that was going to be my next question. I mean, this is kind of, I see this now on the campaign trail where there's a deep sense of apathy and despair and even among my own friends, you know, they say all the time like, my vote doesn't matter. Uh, there's the sense that the game is rigged and that people's voices and their vote aren't really making a difference in the outcome of the election. And so gerrymandering is a, is a major cause for that, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. When, when you know that you're, when you, <laughs> so I, I think you can look at the congressional districts. This is really instructive because people say, oh, gerrymandering has nothing to do with it. It's just voters aren't interested. And, you know, or the Republicans run better campaigns. But if you looked at those congressional districts, I was in House District 6, I mean, Congressional District 6, surrounded by Congressional District 7. And people had just given up because those districts were drawn for those incumbents. And I I remember early on in this fight, I was on the radio with one of the party leaders from the Republican Party who was saying, gerrymandering is not a thing in Pennsylvania. I don't know why you people keep talking about this. And I said, well, I would love you to explain Congressional District 7. And he said, oh, well, we had to finagle that one a little for Pat Meehan. He said that on the radio. Oh <laughs> I, said, I said, you had to finagle a district for Pat Meehan, which is exactly what every district had been finagled for a particular person whose it was their district and, and people just gave up. Why? Why even try to run against these people when they've mapped it out so carefully and there's so much money and so much power? holding those people in place. But what happened after that lawsuit was incredible because what you saw was a bunch of those people who had finagled personal personal districts given to them by the party leadership realized, oh, I have ignored my constituents completely and they don't like me and perhaps I will retire. So, my, my c- congressman retired even though he was not old enough to retire, but he had never held town hall meetings. He had never reached out to his constituents in any way and there there was a host of retirements in the wake of that lawsuit and a lot of new candidates running with great energy and a lot of engagement and people turned out to vote which was really wonderful that overflowed into the house and senate but but people ran and and there was a little bit of a shift in terms of of districts one but there were also a lot of people who realized these districts are locked in much tighter than we thought. They were people who worked super hard in in specific areas and then realized this district is really tightly gerrymandered to hold hold this incumbent in place so people are aware of that the The new congressional districts I think did in many parts of the state bring some new energy and some new interest, but you're absolutely right that that sense of uh, there's no way we can impact it. Totally disengages voters. They feel they feel disenfranchised. They feel like why bother? And that's a that's a dangerous that's a dangerous thing for democracy, which is part of why we're fighting this so hard.
0: No, and I'm grateful that you are. Um, one of the things I've heard Carol, and just kind of reading more about this over the um, since really 2011 and the responses that politicians have given. One of them that I see is that they didn't really know that the outcomes would be this discriminatory. Is that a credible thing to say?
1: It's hard to know. I've had legislators tell me, for instance, like the house districts i I met with my at that time House Representative and pointed out that that there were there was a precinct in her district that was divided in half, and she said, "Oh no, there's no precincts divided in Pennsylvania, and there are, or that you know I, I said, and why was Phoenixville divided in half And she said, "Oh well, because of the numbers and and I think I think Leadership on both sides in the past have done a good job of telling their their caucuses what they want them to hear and And there's a lot that goes on, and, and it's a you know it's a complicated job with lots of different issues. I, I think there are some legislators who who believed what they were told. We've worked very hard to educate legislators themselves to show them, here's your map, here's what a good map would look like you know, here's the here's the state map. Look, look at this nonsense. How do you justify that? So, so we've done a really, uh, we've worked very hard with individual legislators in the past four years to say, when you vote for these things, you're responsible. Or when your leaders hand you a map, you're responsible. And you need to understand what this is and what it's doing to the, the voters and what it's doing to policy. So I do think that there were, I think there were a lot of I think there were legislators who really did not understand what was at stake and who did not realize this was as big a deal as it is. I don't think that will happen this next time. I think they will go into it knowing this is an important issue. People will be watching what I do on this.
0: I sure hope so. And it's interesting to go back and read the legislative record of the debate on the House floor um, during the uh, 2012 gerrymandering vote. Um, You know, there thankfully were some Democrats who recognized the bill for what it was and identified it as probably the most uh, discriminatory legislation in Pennsylvania history. Um, And so, I'm I'm hoping that that sentiment uh, is more broadly appreciated at this time around. Um, It's an interesting uh, kind of segue to what's happening right now in Wisconsin, because the Republican-funded gerrymandering project that you mentioned with, you know, tens of millions of dollars in backing also occurred in Wisconsin. And so, there, just like in Pennsylvania. Um, the Republicans won less than 50% of the votes, but controlled 60% of the state legislature and were able to block the governor's efforts during the pandemic to extend absentee ballot voting. And so, this is something that even now, during during a pandemic, we're seeing the impact of gerrymandering.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, and it, it, to me, it's rather tragic. I mean, part of what's happened is it's kind of weaponized partisanship so we've gone from the thought that we can trust leaders to do the right thing whatever party they are to deep distrust of everybody and the assumption that any move that's made is made for partisan reasons which is really not not good for our not good for our state our country our democracy it's a pretty tragic situation i would say the same thing is happening here in pennsylvania the legislators met this week to vote to reopen our state without good evidence to do that. And they're doing it for partisan reasons. They're just saying, you know, the governor said this, we don't like the governor, therefore we'll do that. And voters are watching and thinking, who is looking out for us? Can we trust the governor? Can we trust our legislators? Can we trust anybody? And that I think is a really, really sad place to be.
0: No, it breaks democracy. Uh, I read a poll recently uh, it was more of a, a study from Pew Research where they found that 84% of Americans don't trust politicians. Uh, and, uh, you know, I say all the time, imagine not trusting your teacher or your mechanic or your doctor. Uh, you can't run a society that doesn't have trust. And gerrymandering seems to be really the original sin there because when you, like you, like you said, when you have congressional districts that are unwinnable, you have voters feeling voiceless. And that's a recipe for disaster. Um, and so, Fair Districts PA has really, over the past few years, taken the lead on trying to fix this. Uh, what's what's your proposal to stop gerrymandering and what will it take to get there?
1: So, we do not have initiative and referendum in Pennsylvania, which is a problem. Um, there are states that citizens can, can introduce a bill and get thousands of signatures and, and get that bill on the ballot. And Pennsylvania does not have that option. So, we have to go through the The same people who hold the power, the same people who benefit from the current system, those are the ones we have to go through to change it. So we have been supporting strongly bills to create an independent citizens commission. This has been tried in several other states and we think it's probably the best solution is to have an independent citizens commission with citizens from both major parties and citizens who are not part of either major party and then have strong rules for what kind of maps they can draw strong rules for public input and transparency of what data is used. And that's what we've been working to do. But to do that for the legislative process is a constitutional amendment. And Pennsylvania has probably the most difficult constitutional amendment process in the country, as far as I can find. It has to go through our our state legislature, two consecutive sessions, and then it has to go to public referendum. So we've been working very hard to get that in place for 2021. This pandemic um, might have might have uh, swamped our our last best effort to get that in place. We're still trying to sort out what's happening with our legislature, but we do have a, a backup plan, which would be a strong criteria bill, which would be very strong rules for both congressional and legislative on how the maps are drawn, how data needs to be held in a publicly accessible website or a portal and citizens can offer proposed maps any map used would have to be tested for responsiveness to the vote so you couldn't lock in a enduring majority that doesn't reflect voters so we're we're working hard um independent commission would be probably the best way but a criteria bill would also be a good solution, and either of those would have to go through our state legislature. And part of what we've learned is gerrymandering creates uh, a lot of legislators who ignore voters pretty completely, and it's been a sobering reality to discover that a legislator can simply say, I'm not interested, and feel that they are able to do that. And especially to see committee chairs say, I'm not interested, and not be held accountable in any way. It's it's um, it's a it's a sobering reality. We're working hard to change it, but it's it's a tough it's a tough climb.
0: Are you garnering any bipartisan support at this point?
1: Oh, we do. We we've we've met some wonderful people. We in the last session we had one hundred and ten co sponsors on our House bill, the most of any bill introduced in that session. But the committee chair last time was someone who said, "I never look at a bill that has you know, Democrat prime sponsorship, and I'm not interested in this bill." And well, gutted gutted our bill when when uh when the prime sponsor tried to do a discharge petition to move it out of his committee, he called a we have seen- let me just say i won't go into the long story because there's lots of stories in what's happened to our bill so far, but I will say we have seen some of what our state legislature is capable of in terms of ignoring voters' voices and I would say our, there was a study done couple of years ago about how much influence the average citizen might have on what happens in Congress and they discovered that the average citizen has zero, nil, void, nothing, you know, no, no influence on what happens in Congress. And I would say that is absolutely the case in Pennsylvania. There are issues that we can have seventy five percent of voters agree on. And, and gerrymandering is one of those. We've, we've done, there have been surveys and invariably they come back that two out of three voters want an independent commission. Two out of three voters say legislators should not be drawing their own district lines. Doesn't matter. Um, what we've seen is that there can be things that voters across the board, across the spectrum agree on and leaders can just block them completely for decades, not, not for, not for years, for absolute decades. And I could show you really important issues that should be nonpartisan that have been simply blocked or simply ignored for decades and it's it's pretty heartbreaking when you look at that.
0: That's what I find so devastating about gerrymandering is the long-term impact it has. you know this isn't um, a single term or even a year. this is a decade um, and it compounds you know it augments power. Uh, and so there are you know different forms of discrimination and voter suppression. We saw the Voting Rights Act be overturned by the Supreme Court a few years ago. Uh, there are other forms of discrimination that, uh, that take place across the country, but where does gerrymandering for you rank among those? Is there, uh, it can be hard to prioritize, but is this the most consequential form of discrimination there is?
1: It's a big one. It's a big one. Um, you know, it's hard, as you said, it's hard to rank them, but I would say this is pretty foundational to what happens, pretty foundational to the inability of voters to be heard. And it, it push, pushes, pushes legislators to the, to the edges. In other words, the legislators who have the safest districts are the ones who are the ones most aligned with their party leaders and they get the most benefit from the party uh, I, I heard a, there's a, there's a new book I want to read called The Two Party Doom Loop. Mm. And, um, that is what it looks like to me, The Two Party Doom Loop. It's, it's both parties playing this very toxic game against each other. And, and there are many legislators who can't stand it, who don't want to be part of it. Yet those are the ones, the, those who most want to collaborate, those who most want to represent their voters those who most want to see a really functioning vibrant representative government they are they are enable, incapable or blocked at every turn by the by the way that power flows within our legislatures and we see that in congress and we see that in harrisburg those those people who who would love to pass really good bills on behalf of the people of pennsylvania find it impossible to do that because of the way that gerrymandering holds partisan power in place and and supports the partisan game of accusation against the other and really gets in the way of, of a healthy democracy.
0: Well, Carol, I can't give you enough credit for the work that you're doing. It's really the the front lines of restoring democracy in this country. It's been, it seems, in decline now for a long time, which is how we we find ourselves in this position now. If folks want to get involved with Fair Districts PA, how can they do that?
1: We have a a website, fairdistrictspa.com, that has tons of information. It also has a petition that people can sign, and we really encourage people to sign the petition because then they get on our email list. Uh, We have have about 40 local groups across the state. We've done almost 900 public events attended by over 30,000 people and we we have volunteers across the state. That's been the encouraging thing. You, you, you mentioned how just demoralized people are, and what's been really exciting to me is how many people from across the political spectrum, across the demographic spectrum, across the state, we have people who have said, I'm really concerned about the way our democracy works. I'm really concerned about our state, And I want to engage and people have learned how to go meet with legislators. They've learned how to present resolutions to their local governments on behalf of an independent commission. So I would say go to our website, fairdistrictspa.com, sign our petition, or you can sign our petition by text, just text sign FDPA, all as one word, to 94253. Sign FDPA to 94253 and sign our petition. And then you'll get our email updates, and, um, we'll be able to plug you in with your local groups.
0: I can't encourage, uh, that enough. My, there's a, um, a novelist HG Wells who wrote that, uh, education or civilization is in a race between education and catastrophe and educating people about gerrymandering, I think is the ticket here because anybody who learns about it can't help, but say, this isn't something that's good for our country. Uh, and so Carol, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the work that you're doing. I know that it'll pay off, uh, if not soon, eventually. And the work that you're doing really makes, uh, makes me hopeful. So thanks for taking the time to join me today and keep fighting the good fight.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for what you're doing.